So two weeks ago, we were in Revelation chapter 4, because last week we took a break for Easter, and this week we're going to be in Revelation chapter 5. If you want to open your Bibles up to that, that'd be great. If you have one of the red ones in front of you, that is the translation I'll be using, but the black ones are, are close enough. Okay? So what did we see in Revelation chapter 4? We see God in, his, in all his authority, and there is nothing quite like him. Nothing can compare to his glory, his power, his holiness, and we find out only he is worthy in all of this, right? That God alone is worthy. We'd walk away from the scene and be in awe of God, and we'd be like, wow, that's amazing, and what an awesome God we serve. It is the picture of awesome, as Beth pointed out today in worship as well. Um, God is the picture of awesome, and we are, give him praise. Everything and everyone around the room was amazing, right? The beings, I, I usually think they're angels, the throne, the throne room, they were all great. They are all more glorious than ourselves. But they all paled in comparison to the splendor of the Lord our God. If we were John, we'd been blown away. Then he zooms in on what the God of heaven and the God of earth is holding in his hands. And that's where we pick it up this morning. In Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, let's read it now. And then I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who sits, who was sitting on the throne, and there was writing on the inside and the outside of the scroll, and it was sealed with seven seals. Or, or, or. Wow, that one bombed. <laughs> All right. Okay, they were sealed with seven seals, and I and I saw a strong angel who shouted with a large love voice and who is worthy to break the seals in the in this scroll and open it but no one in heaven on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read it and i began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it but one of the 24 elders said to me stop weeping look the lion of judah of the tribe of judah the heir to David's throne has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. Praise God for his word. Praise God that he was worthy to open it up. So where are we going this morning? By God's grace, we are building on our relationship with Jesus by walking in faith that he is our Savior. With the authority of God in chapter 4, John zooms in on what a mighty God is holding in his hand. He has a scroll with writings on both sides. God is thorough, and he leaves nothing out. The scroll has seven seals and usually indicates an official document that is sealed for end of time. Maybe it's a deed. And so it wouldn't be unsealed until the property is sold or possibly a will. And when the heir is there that can receive it, then it is opened. So the seven seals indicate that only the heir to the throne can open this. The set, number seven, which happens 
a lot in Revelation, and it happens a lot in Revelation chapter 5. Remember, the number 7 points to sanctification, which is the process of holiness, and as we get to, to the finalization of holiness, that would be perfection, right? So we know that to be Christ. Christ is perfect in his holiness because he is found worthy, right? So that's one reason why he was able to open the, the scroll, right? So is anyone worthy? John knows one thing for sure. He is absolutely positive that no man born of Adam is worthy to open the scroll. There is not one of us that is worthy. And so he weeps bitterly. So let's take in some details here. Because John knew Jesus, right? If you think about this, this is written after Jesus was on the earth. I don't know if you knew that, but that's true. And it was written quite a bit later. And John knew Jesus. So John is in despair here, yet he knows that the Messiah has come. He knew that in his earthly life. So in this vision, I don't really kind of feel that he knew that there was somebody worthy or, or it was God, in my opinion, he let John see the scene without the influence of outside knowledge. Okay, So when he sees this, he knows his heart, he knows the hearts of men, and he knows there's no one worthy to open that throne. Only God can be in that splendor good enough to do it. John knows the kingdom is doomed. No one in the kingdom can live up to those expectations that the king has set for himself. What are some of those expectations? Well, he is holy, right? Think about that. What's it mean to be holy? It means to be separate from sin. Well, we've already fallen short of that one. All man has fallen short of that one. Romans 3.23, for everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. This is God's glorious standard. God did not put on his Sunday best to walk out into his kingdom. He didn't get dressed up to make himself look good for us. He is God is best on all the time. He wears it all the time. It is who he is. God is the best. Whoa. He can't unbest, right? He is he just is. So in the relationship between God and man, God has never fallen short. God has never let us down in the way we think he has let us down sometimes. We always fall short or we never quite measure up or we turn away from his perfect standard. And when we think maybe that we have got some things figured out, then we usually find out no, no, we don't. And so John weeps. And it's like a bitter cry, probably one that probably hasn't been heard in heaven in a long, long time. And once heaven's created again, I don't think we'll ever be heard again. The one reserved for funerals and death, the where's your hope kind of cry. We're hopeless. There's no one worthy I see the wickedness of man, and we don't measure up to this standard. 
The angels don't even measure up to this standard. The, the ones worshiping in the throne room don't even measure up to this standard. The 24 elders, they just bow down just a few minutes ago because they weren't worthy enough for the standard. And they're the only ones that we kind of had hope that might have been able to do it, and they can't. What are we going to do? And I think the Lion of Judah kind of, it's like one of the elders, I don't, maybe it's not the guy opposite of the Lion of Judah because he sees him starting to walk forward maybe and he's like, dude, stop that. What are you doing? Because here again is one of those instances where angels tend to get a little bit confused about the emotions or the presuppositions of men. We just assume that no one is worthy where they knew somebody was. And so like, stop crying. Look, the line of Judah, Judah he is worthy. He is David's heir. You're going to miss the best part. Wipe your tears away and keep watching. But anytime we as a people go before a holy God, do we have that reaction? Do we weep because of our unworthiness because of our sinful nature that is one way you know you're approaching the throne if your first reaction is i am not worthy to be here well good you're in the you're beginning down the right path of worthiness because you're going to allow god jesus through his blood to make you worthy right so john he must have been wondering what the elders was thinking because john all he saw was a, a lamb there that looked like he was slain. And you said he was the Lion of Judah? This doesn't match up. Now, I'm not sure if they're the same person, the Lion of Judah, and I, I, I guess I do know that they're the same. I don't know if they're the same, like the, there's a lamb and there was a, the elder that represented the Lion of Judah. I don't know. Um, but if, if it were, John would look at the, the representative of the Lion of Judah and he'd be like, one, your look doesn't match your title. Two, um, how are you going to be even worthy? You can barely make the, the steps, let alone um, what you're going to do. He's not going to get the job done. This guy looks like he's been slain. He's not strong enough. He's not alive enough. And he might stain the carpet if he goes on there, therefore messing up the whole thing. Right? But I ask you about your circumstances. What about your circumstances? When God asks you to hand things over to him, yet we has hesitate because we don't think Jesus is big enough to handle it. Now, we won't come right out and say that because we all know that Jesus is big enough to handle our problems, but our stubborn hearts are kind of saying that, aren't they? They're kind of like, well, you know, I don't really, I'm, I have shame in this situation. If I reveal it to the Lord, I'm going to be, I have some confession to do. I have some work on my heart to do, and I don't really want to do that. Interesting. Interesting. So when we humble ourselves and come before a God in humility, then we can allow him to lift us up. We weep and we mourn, asking God, where are you? I need you big time. And what if 
if God's offer to solve this, the problem, it really doesn't fit what we have in mind. A slain lamb? Really? How, how's he even moving with all that blood loss? I don't know. I don't know what I would be thinking at the time, but I'd be like, this doesn't add up. It's, it's not, it doesn't fit. I am usually wanting to solve problems force versus force. So I'm going to go in it with all my gusto, and it can come with all of its gusto, and my gusto is going to run over its gusto. And if it doesn't, then I will turn to my God and say, okay, now our gusto will run over its gusto. That's not how God works, does he? He doesn't use the strong one in the room to win the fight. He generally uses the weak one. David, shepherd David versus Goliath kind of situation. But I want to use strength for strength. And I'm going to get it done no matter what. And that's how it goes. But doesn't he use gentleness to calm anger? Didn't he send a baby as a savior? Vulnerable? Exposed? To his created? <laughs> Doesn't look good for the home team, right? A perfect sacrifice to cure sin and death. And John is sitting there feeling hopeless as we would have been too. There's nothing here that I can do to do this. There's nothing. And he takes in the scene and he's like, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to go? I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. I am going to weep bitterly. But just at the right time, just when we thought we were helpless, Christ came in and he dies for our sins. And that's what we have. That's what is represented at the beginning of Revelation chapter 5. It's when Jesus dies on the cross. This is talking about the first coming, right? God is telling us that Jesus is our solution. He is letting John reveal this is what happened in heaven when we, you thought you were unworthy God showed us his worthiness, but God showed us his great love for us by sending his son to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Jesus, which makes sense now because the lamb that was slain represents Jesus, we can certainly save us from God's condemnation, from God's wrath, right? We talked about wrath a little bit on Thursday. It's bigger than anger, right? I have a hard time when, uh, especially the New Living Translation likes to translate God's wrath to God's anger. And it's not the same thing because anger can be uncontrolled. Wrath can be uncontrolled too, but it's usually justified in its action. Okay, It's usually the result of uh, a broken rule or it's the result of um, in, in the case of God, it'd be in, in the result of his holiness being marred. And so his creation is marred with sin. And so he is going to make it right. So I wonder, so by God's grace, 
We are building on a relationship with Jesus by walking in faith that he is our Savior. And I wonder if, this, if at this point, John, he wants to lean over to the elder on the throne and say, uh, no offense, but uh, you don't send a boy in to do a man's job. And you certainly don't send a lamb in, one that's slain, to do the job of a lion. You see, even God himself became the underdog, became the weak to show the strong. He became foolish to us, a lamb. You're going to take on the sin of the world with a lamb? What's he going to do, nibble him? Right? Wag his tail? That's all lambs know how to do, right? No. He rose up under his weakness and defeated sin and death in a strength that we can't explain. Praise God for that. Well, where do you see that? Well, let's keep reading, right? Revelation chapter 5, 6, 7, and 8. So then, then I saw a lamb that looked as if he had been slaughtered, but it was now standing be- between the throne and the four living beings and among the 24 el- elders. So he is approaching the throne. He's getting closer. And I have, it had, he had seven horns and seven eyes, which represent the sevenfold spirit of God, which we learned about earlier in chapter 1. Sevenfold spirit of God that is sent out into every part of the earth. He stepped forward and took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. And when he took the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they held gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And we'll talk about that in a little bit here. Jesus is worthy to open the scroll from Father God. Jesus is worthy. Jesus is the lamb in this situation. God promises a descendant to the, in the line of Judah who would inherit and restore the earth. We knew the descendant, but who knew the descendant would be and would come as a lamb that was slain. The Jews didn't. They were looking for a conquering king. They were looking for the lion of Judah. It was promised, after all, since the beginning, that Judah would be the heir, and he would be the one that the Messiah would come through. The disciples didn't. They were worried about setting up earthly thrones and an earthly kingdom. What place am I going to hold? Can I sit at your right and your left? Can my boys sit at your right and your left? They vied for position and thought that would look nice. But what about each one of us? What place have you given the lamb that was slain? So I asked some, some touchier questions maybe. Did you read your Bible last week? Yes? Well, good job. I'm proud of you. No? 
Well, you may have to say, well, last week was easy. I didn't need God. I only read my Bible when I need God. Well, that's convenient. Just, just saying that out loud. Sometimes if you think you're right before the Lord, just say it out loud. Well, I didn't need to do, I don't need to pray today because I got this figured out. And you're like, in your mind, that's what you just thought. And then you said it out loud and you're like, uh, no, 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 I'm going to pray. I better, I better pray right now, right? That's a very arrogant statement. And if we want to know what the Lord is speaking into our lives, we need to read his word. And it can't just come on Sunday. It can't just come on Thursday nights or Wednesdays or small group. It, it has to be on a daily basis. Something that you can meditate, that you can wrestle with, that you can chew on throughout the week. That's why it is important to memorize scripture. So you have, if you forget those times, you can go back to something that you, you know well, that you memorized, and you can chew on that. Right? The culture is always trying to poke holes into your theology, poke holes into your relationship with the Lord. And if you don't have a foundation worth standing on, you aren't going to be standing on for very long, are you? You'll be down in the muck and the mire that we see in, in Psalms chapter 40 real quick. You'll take your eyes off of Jesus real quick and you'll go into the wind and the waves and you're wondering, Lord, where, when, how? This didn't work out for me. And then you reach out and say, Jesus, Jesus, and he will take your hand and pull you out of the wind and out of the waves. So did you pray last week? Prayer is about submission. When you ask God to help you with your day, to guard your mind, to guard your thoughts, to be that strength for you, you're submitting to a God who loves you, right? A God who cares. And when you don't pray, you're saying, I don't need any commands from my commander. I don't need to communicate back to home base. I have this. Again, it's pride, it's arrogance. And we ask for forgiveness when we say those things out loud that are in our head. I don't have time. Don't have time. You don't have time to pray. It means you don't want to involve God in your current circumstances. Can God help you study? Can God help you with that client? Can God help you drive down the road? Can God help you? Yes. The answer is yes, if you allow him. Can God give you peace of mind? Always. Always. Can God heal you when he chooses? Yes, Yes, he can. Right? Usually the limiting factor is on our end. Sometimes it's his will. Sometimes his will is, in the grand scheme of things, that's not how it's going to work out this time. But sometimes it is. Right? So Jesus is the only one that is worthy to open the scroll. And he, he memorized scripture. He didn't just read it. He had it memorized. He knew the Bible backwards and forwards. Well, he helped write it, so he should know it. But he prayed all the time. He submitted to his heavenly Father all the time. It wasn't just like, 
well, I'm going to do this decision by myself. If you ever look at, read through the book of Joshua, if you get to Jericho, the walls come down, amazing things happen. What's the next town right after that? You guys know that? AI, yeah. Starts with an A, ends with an I. AI. <laughs> That's what it is. What do they do? They're, they go up to Joshua and say, that's eh, not very big. Just send 3,000 troops. There's no reason why we need to mobilize the whole thing. And then it says right after that, they did not inquire of the Lord. Right? Jesus always inquired of the Lord. What did he do when he, before he picked up his disciples? He chose 12 of them. He stayed up all night praying. Before he goes on his mission, what's he do? He sends the disciples off in a boat. He dismisses the crowd, and he spends the rest of the time praying. I have a hard time keeping my eyes open, Lord. Well, then you better start walking and praying. <laughs> That's what I'm going to say. Right? So then we see this picture of this lamb. What's this picture of this lamb have? We have seven horns. Oh, shofars, as I would say in the Hebrew. And if you know anything about a shofar that they would blow, and they obviously wouldn't blow on a horn that's got attached to the lamb, but that, it still represents the same thing. It represents salvation. He is the complete and the whole offering for our sins. He is sanctified, a.k.a. seven, in our salvation. He fills it. And then he has seven eyes. He knows everything. He sees everything. He's all-knowing. He knows what he's getting into. He knows what he got himself into, and he knows that he's worthy to get into it. He also knows what he's getting, getting, out, getting us out of, and he's still willing. So he knows what he's getting into, and he knows what he's getting us out of. He knows the price. He knows the cost. Is he excited about it? I wouldn't say he's excited about it. I don't think God's ever excited about sin, dealing with it. Do we get excited about dealing with sin? Do we get excited about forgiveness? Yay, I've got to go repent today. <laughs> no. No, I'm always going kicking and screaming generally. And then I always feel like, why was that so hard? It's my pride. I thought I could handle it myself, and I couldn't. And now I have to get, I have to work my pride over, and I got to work the sin over that I just did. Wow. What a scene we have before the throne of God. It brought John to tears and excitement. I don't think John's like a guy that's like, I think he's pretty balanced in his emotions. So for him to go to one extreme, to the next this is a major scene this is a very emotional scene it's god's spirit when it's moving i think the overflow has to go into our emotions and we have to express it some way we can express it through jumping up and down sometimes that's a physical way that we can do this but sometimes it comes out in heaves of emotions that we cannot control and sometimes it's elation that we can't speak and this is what's going on in John, and then God's like, oh yeah, you need to write all this down too, so don't forget all this stuff. So some of that is easy because I can't, I'm not going to forget the highs and the lows, but 
sometimes all the details, it's just amazing to me. And you can see God's hand in writing all this. So the elders, they fall down and praise with a harp and a bowl of incense. And what do we see the incense is? It's the prayers of the saints. You and I have a presence in God's throne room through our prayers. Pastor, I don't know how to pray. Well, no prayer is worse than a little prayer. And a little prayer can be approved on through repetition, through finding somebody that knows how to pray, listening to them. We've talked about that small group. How did you learn how to pray? I listened to those that knew how to pray. It's a conversation with your Heavenly Father uh, through Jesus Christ our Lord, right? And it's sincerity. God is concerned about sincerity, not flowing, eloquent words. It's about the heart. It doesn't matter what comes out of the mouth. Where's your heart at when you're praying? Humility. You always get a good prayer through humility. So God loves to hear our prayers offered to him. There are pleasing aroma in his holy place. So that's why I know that we can achieve some types of holiness because it can be left in the bowls of incense in front of the king. So we are an amazing creature that even the angels sometimes just are blown away by. Look at this guy. He, he's confused about this throne room thing, which to us is obvious, but we know some of this incense came from his prayers. We're just blown away that God allows that relationship with him. And it should remind us why we should develop our prayer walk with the Lord, because God, by God's grace, we are building on our relationship with, with God by walking in faith that he is our Savior. Let's finish off the chapter reading it now. Verse 9 of chapter 5, Revelation. And they sang a new song with these words, You're worthy to take the scroll and break its seal and open it, for you were slaughtered and your blood has ransomed people for God for every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God, and they will reign on the earth. And I looked again, and I saw the voices of thousands and of millions of angels around the throne and of the living beings and the elders. And they sang in a mighty chorus, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, they sang blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. And the four living beings said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and they worshiped the lamb. They worshiped the lamb. Who did they worship before? It wasn't the lamb. It was the Holy One sitting on the throne, right? It was God the Father they worshiped. Only God 
is worthy of worship. What are we saying about Jesus and the Lamb? He is God, right? This is where the triune kind of comes back together. And if you look at this, the first one is Revelation chapter 4. We have God on his throne before he is about to do something amazing on the earth. And then we see a picture of Jesus on the earth doing something amazing, dying, paying for our sin. And then we see another scene where Jesus is worthy of all the praise. From who? Everything. On the earth, under the earth, and in above the earth, in the heavens. Everyone. Now you can make a good case that this is where um, well, the saints at this point are all in, all in heaven. This is where pre-tribbers would go, and they would say that. But you could also say that these are three glimpses of what's to come in the rest of Revelation as well. Whoa. Interesting. I am still haven't figured that one out yet. Honestly, I am looking at Revelation from new eyes, and I am just like, I was talking to Craig and Doris yesterday, and I am entered into something that is like a whoa moment with the scriptures. Um, trying to grab my, I, I, I said I started Revelation with this. With the Gospel of John, I'm like this. I get the Gospel of John. I understand the Gospel of John. I can, I can grasp it. I could probably stand up here, read a little bit of the Gospel, and I could preach on it right away. With Revelation, to do it right, I'm going in with an open mind, I don't have a grasp on it yet, but I'd say my grasp is coming around a little bit more. And I think by the time we, we get done with this, I'll have a pretty, pretty strong stance on it, and I appreciate your patience in this. But our final point is the, the Lamb is finalizing the age of grace, and he's about to purify the earth. That's what we see here. Jesus, when he dies on the cross, he en we enter into the age of grace that no one should perish, right? But when he comes back the second time, the age of grace is over. You have to make your decision either before you die or before Christ comes back. And we have to decide, are we going to follow the Lord and submit to him and make him our Lord? Or are we going to follow our own way? And we know the results of that is eternal punishment in hell. So I have my hope in the Lord Jesus. That's why we are here at White Rose. We have our hope in the Lord Jesus. And we submit to him. We sing a new song like you see in Jeremiah chapter 31. It says, he will, he will forgive our wickedness and forget our sin. He will usher in something new. Jesus will be able to restore the earth back to holiness. He will restore man back to God. The blood of Jesus is the payment for our sins. Everyone who answers his callings, they will be set apart. They will be set apart as holy. I can't get there on my own. 
That's what the grace is all about, right? We recognize that we want to get to heaven. At least I do. I recognize I want to get to heaven. And so I come about the process of how am I going to get there? Well, we generally come to the conclusion that, well, if I'm a good enough person, I can get to heaven. But look at John. In the presence of holiness, he says, I can't get here. There's no way. I've fallen so far short, there's no way I can stand in this presence. It's getting burnt off of me. I am a wicked, wretched man. Woe is me, is what Isaiah said. Ezekiel couldn't stand in the presence of the Lord. He, all of them had to be cleansed by the Lord. And through that cleansing, there comes a submission. And when we submit to the Lord and we receive his grace, amazing things happen. We turn into what he intended us to be. We turn into sons and daughters of the Most High, right? Am I making this up? No, I'm not. It's right here. The more and more I understand it, the more and more I'm in awe of it. And then we turn into people that come alive. Our personality was okay before. Now it's amazing because it reflects the glory of the Lord. We were able to give compassion before, maybe. Maybe selfish compassion because like if I give them, maybe they'll give to me down the road. Now I can give and not necessarily expect to receive. That's a sign that God's grace is working in your heart. You wake up and you can't explain why you're feeling so good, even when you should be feeling so bad, and the circumstances seem like they're going to work out, which is because you have the peace of God in your heart. That is from the Lord God. That is because he's changed you. And we can have that. When we don't have that as believers, we reset, right? We say, Lord, I need, you in the, I need your peace in this. Sometimes he gives us that uneasiness so we'll wrestle with him to figure out the right answer. And when we wrestle and we find the right answer, he'll lock in. That's what I did with this message. I tell you what, I was... Friday at like 3, and we had a place to go at 4.30, and I'm trying to figure out what is the Lord saying to me on this, and it just wrote itself in a sense. God was good. So God asks us today if we're willing to stand up and declare that we are his followers. This is the process of sanctification, once we're justified in Christ and we receive his grace, the process of sanctification walks us toward holiness. That's why we can have moments of holiness that can go in these incense bowls. That's why we can have moments of holiness where people can glimpse Jesus through our faith walk, right? We will never be holy in a, in a sense as 100%, but we can have glimpses of holiness when we're right with the Lord and we put him first and the devil better watch out that day. Amen? That's right. When you walk into his 
An eerie situation. What do I mean by an eerie situation? An eerie situation would be when you can feel the presence of demonic. You better have your heart right with the Lord. Well, there's no such thing as the demonic. Well, I will tell you, I beg to differ because I've seen it and I've felt it and I've seen it cast out as well. Jesus is bigger than the demonic. But what will the demonic do? And this is a little bit of a tangent. They will pick on your unrepentance. They can, they can see it. You're having a hard time with this? Ooh, they'll go there. A lot of times God won't reveal the, the big stuff like that until you're right with him and flowing with his spirit. And sometimes we regret when that happens. Yay! Because they, when they're revealed, they hit you hard. You better be ready. So be praying for the youth this weekend. That's one thing that's going to come up. And with, uh, you, start, you start picking on music. You start picking on, you, that's where you're going. You're fighting against the culture, and you fight against the culture. Who's, who's in charge of the culture? Satan is, right? And so be praying for the youth this weekend that God's going to do amazing things. He already is, as we've said already. We had a white rose this week. Praise God, but be ready. He's walking us to holiness. Some indicators of we're doing this. Well, people, they're coming to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior as a result of your faith walk. You want to know that you're walking with the Lord? You see people, other people coming to know the Lord. Or cooler yet, you see your disciples making disciples of Jesus, not you. That's why I have a hard time when you say, oh, so-and-so is ready to come to know the Lord. Can you come talk to them? No, because they're not making a disciple of me. They're making a disciple of the Lord. I will help walk you through it, but you should be able to do it on yourself because we don't need minor sh little itty-bitty Shanes out there. We need little bitty Jesuses out there, right? They turn into big Jesuses. So are you bold enough to declare your allegiance to the Lord? How have you done so? What's something that you could do with your family or at work or at school today that would make a statement for the Lord? And then are you going to follow through with it? Just because you say you're a Christian, are you representing Christ? That one hurts me, <laughs> so I know it hurts you, right? Just because you say you're a Christian, are you representing love, compassion that the Lord Jesus shows? Are you willing to go the long way around the ar argument and start arguing? Even worse, are you willing to lose the argument to save the friendship, to save your friend from hell? Ouch. There goes my Facebook. Dang it. <laughs> or how about this? Here's another one. Are you bold enough to pray big prayers? You can have your prayer list. So you walk through, we need to pray for those that are sick, those that are ailing, those that need Jesus, those that 
are sitting next to me, my family. I need to pray for this. Are you bold enough to pray for a revival in Bellevue, in Norwood, in Peoria? Is that on your lips? I hope so. That's a, that's a prayer that only God can pr- answer. So ask, pray for big prayers. Pray for big prayers. Pray for the lost. That's a big prayer, isn't it? So-and-so doesn't know Jesus. Lord Jesus, change their heart. Change their mind. Allow you to come into there. As God changes people. As God placed something on your heart that is God-sized. I want to feed the neighborhood, right? We're feeding the neighborhood because somebody prayed a bold prayer, right? What's next? What is next? I want to see a harvest at Vacation Bible School. Do you want to see a harvest at Vacation Bible School? We need to start praying. Lord God, we ask in Jesus' name that you would convict our hearts to pray your spirit into this community. We ask that you would open up uh, avenues, though, that we can minister to this place, that revival would start in our heart first and then pour out into um, maybe it's the children, maybe it's the community members that we would see changed lives, changed hearts, and changed lifestyles for Jesus Christ in this community. Amen. Are you praying about that? That's one thing I'm going to challenge that you pray with me. Maybe you're praying the disciple maker's prayer. If you know Bill Allison, you would know this one. If you don't, you might have one of his cards right here on your hip pocket. I always wondered what those cards were. Some of them were business cards, but some of them were this prayer. It says, Heavenly Father, thank you for giving me a disciple-making way of life in Christ Jesus. As I go through every part of this day, help me to love you and to love the people who cross my path, starting with my family. Do not let me miss the adventures you are sending my way to live and to speak the good news about Jesus today. Draw my heart to you and to specific people you want me to pull close for Jesus-like disciple-making friendships. By your word and spirit, transform me into a follower of Jesus who loves you and loves people and makes disciples, who makes more disciples ad infinitum in Jesus' name. Amen. That's a bold prayer. comes straight from Scripture. Are you willing to pray that? Like, I'd like one of those cards, Pastor House. Well, I got a whole bunch of them in my office, congregant, and I'd be willing to give them. Are you bold enough to change, to pray daily, to read your Bible daily, to love your neighbor as yourself daily? Daily look at for opportunities to share the gospel. Christ led by example he humbled himself philippians chapter 2 6 through 11 became a servant a servant unto death and god lifted him up and gave him the glory of that god said he would lift him up god will and has followed through Christ is not asking us to do anything that he wasn't willing to do in the first place. Do you believe that Jesus Christ deserves the blessing and the honor and the glory and the power that belong to the one sitting on the throne and the Lamb forever? Do you believe that? 
Is that something you believe? Then let's see it in your life. Let it be displayed in your prayer walk. Let's see it as you read his word. Can you think of a recent example of how you loved your neighbor? How did you bring Jesus into that conversation? They're going to hell unless you let them know about it. How are you, how you gave your all, not for your glory, but for the Lord's glory. Praise God for his grace. Maybe when somebody gives you a compliment, you give it right back to the Lord. Especially if they're a non-Christian, they won't understand that. But it's something that speaks boldly. Good job on the project at work today. Well, praise God for his giving me the ability to do so because I couldn't have done it without him. Simple as that, right? Hey, good catch on that chart. I would have never seen that. Praise God for the eyes to see. I usually don't see them either, right? You're no better than they are. You just put themselves, yourself on a level playing field and gave God all the glory. That's how it's done. It's simple as that. It's a changed mind. It's a changed heart to stop giving the glory to yourself and giving it to the Lord. That's what it's about. By God's grace, we are building on our relationship with Jesus by walking in faith that he is our Savior. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, you are an awesome God. Man, you had me charged up this morning. We just give you the glory. We thank you for setting the example of becoming the weakest thing a lamb who was slain, and you were the savior of the world. You are the savior of the world, and you have not perished, but you defeated death, and you make my heart come alive. You are the heart of this church here at White Rose. Lord, I pray that we would tap into this heart, that you would open up our eyes so that we would see the wonderful things that you have in store for us Lord, by your word and spirit, allow us to see these opportunities that come before us. And as we go, we ask for your boldness, Lord, because we are timid. We do not know how to love boldly. We do not know how to express that love boldly. And we ask that in Jesus' name, that you would lead us, that you would protect us, that you would love us, and direct us. We ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed.